Welcome to the Denver United Sermon of the Week. Here's a message from Pastor Rob Brendel. All right. Hey, um, students, you are dismissed. Uh, I don't know if we mentioned that, but if, if we didn't and you're in here, you can go right through there to the garage. Excited for all that's happening in our student ministry. We'll talk a little bit more about the lead rally and what that's about and how you can be a part uh, here in a few minutes. Today is a day that I love every year. It's when we've come through Awakening, which is our rhythm every January, putting first what matters most, prioritizing our own personal relationship with Jesus. And then coming out of that in February, we circle the wagons and talk about who we are, where we're going, and how we're going to get there. A a, a refresh, a rallying around the vision that God's given us. Uh, You can call it in, in... Church Tradition Vision Sunday. And this year in particular, I was given some extra reflection around where we are because it's a time that's relatively unprecedented, at least in my life, not in Jesus's church, of course, um, but in my lifetime. Much has been made and and more than enough discussed around these unprecedented times that we've experienced with the pandemic and all of the social fallout, economic fallout and otherwise. I think that um, I could probably do without any more of that for quite some time. But what we haven't discussed as clearly and exactly is the ramifications of all those challenges and changes to us in our little community in our church. After this time two years ago, starting the year at Denver United's all-time high point in every metric. We, we were uh, busting at the seams, four services, and uh, the room was full, you know, two or three more hundred more chairs packed in. The complaints we'd get were that you had to remember turn sideways to get through the rows because they were so tight. And, and everything seemed like this is what we worked for when, you know, 10 years prior, we had left everything to plant this church in the heart of Denver where churches aren't supposed to grow. And then, like everyone else in the world experienced on March 24th, the world just shut down. We literally, on Friday, realized, hey, we can't actually meet. And for the first time in our history, we canceled service, scrambled, literally used Lindsay's phone and her Instagram account to broadcast, you know, Kaysen sitting on a stool playing the guitar and me talking and then spent the next two years figuring out how to decentralize, stay connected and growing in Christ through our groups and communities and and homes around the city, and then uh, how to broadcast our services. Uh, Then the dust settled, we came out of that time, and like the exiles in the Old Testament age, slowly returning from where they were in the diaspora, right, in fits and spurts, we started coming back together, seeing people that we hadn't seen in a year and a half, and then not seeing many more. And I think there was some unspoken hardship and sadness that many of you would say to me, and listen, nobody felt it more than I did. If you felt it, please know doing this for a living and having given everything to it, I felt it too. But no one wants to say it, but like, where is everybody? Or like, wow, what happened? You know, it lost that loving feeling. It was gone, gone, gone. And I mean, I literally found myself praying oldies songs to God, like bring back that loving feeling, realizing how addicted I had become to the good feeling of a crowd, uh, lamenting with David when I read through the Psalms of how I used to lead the festive throng in joyful procession to the house of God. It was hardly a throng. It was a, it was a little trickle. And then as We could unmask and then we had to mask again. And some people find that terrible and some people find that exhilarating and some people think we should be masked and we shouldn't be masked. And more reasons, everything around masks and vaccinations to be at odds with one another. We were all kind of raw and in our feelings because it had been so disruptive in so many ways that couldn't help but work its way in. So we find ourselves back together with the few who were there and it just was hard not to talk about that, right? And then there's the, um, what happened to them? Where did he go? 
question. And man, it used to be so full and now it's small. And these aren't unique to us. Every church in, in, in the country and probably every movie theater and just about every other um, organization that gathers people in, in, in a public assembly has worked with that. Restaurants, many of them closed entirely because they just couldn't keep the doors open. And the ones that did, they eked it out with a handful of people and spaced out tables. It's been a hard go socially. And so we found ourselves needfully and by just sort of um, uh, emotional respite purposes, isolating. And uh, now people will say to me, some of you, and, and I get it, I feel it too. Well, we say we're a family, but I don't really even know these people. And it's true. We're, I mean, we sort of darkly joked, and it wasn't really a joke after all, that it was like three quarters of a, of a, of a second church plant. Last year, our focus for the vision in the second, second half of the year was rebuilding. Remember, we talked through the scriptures about Nehemiah and the other post-exilic leaders that rebuilt from rubble the infrastructure for the future of the people of God's covenant to be able to thrive together again. But I don't know that they ever experienced a lot of the joy and the thriving. We rebuilt, though, the infrastructure, the systems. I mean, we had virtually no, nothing and had to start over. It's not the building that's the limitation or the challenge. We did it for five years, turning a college lecture hall into a sanctuary every Sunday morning before the sun rose, and then turning it back into a lecture hall considerably cleaner than it was the night before every Sunday afternoon. The building isn't the thing. That's not the hard work. It's the social infrastructure, right? It's the people doing the work so much like we saw with our worship team stepping up this morning is just us. Church is the ultimate cooperative. And that was all evaporated. And so over the last six months, so many of you stepped up. Two weeks ago, Lucy stood up here with me and asked you, would you be a part of serving and discipling kids? And the response was overwhelming. Thank you. Amazing. And I think all of our United Kids faithful leaders who have held the fort down are saying thank you doubly. More and more, we're seeing each week the infrastructure being reestablished, and yet here's what, where the incongruity remains. You heard Rice say it this morning. We say it every week, probably ad nauseum. Church is many things, but foremost, it is a family. And many of us are experiencing that uh, in, a, in a, a theological way. Like, I get that on an on a understanding of truth level, that's what God called this, but it doesn't feel like a family. It feels like a bunch of people that maybe also like God, who I don't really know. And so that makes it even more unappealing to come, right? I get it. Mari and I looked around and we're like, we're starting over. We're rebuilding. We are planting afresh. And so what are we to do about that? I mean, saying it or not saying it doesn't change the reality. That's the place where we find ourselves. Have you ever been to like a family reunion or extended family gathering where maybe you're from the city and it's all your country cousins, mine all live in rural Georgia, and you show up wearing like Banana Republic and they are not wearing that and everything about you and them is different and you realize you share a bloodline and that's about it. And so you're, you're meeting people that are theoretically family. In some ways, that's where we find ourselves. What are we to do about that? We can do what many do and bail. And, you know, when things are hard, that's a natural impulse, right? When there's a, a global set of circumstances, a problem that we can't fix or can't change, that just persists in nagging, ongoing negative reality, well, it's very human to change what we can. And the most accessible change for most of us is situational or geographical. We can quit our job. We can move. And the advent and the, the double-edged sort of Zoom at least made it possible for many of us to reimagine our lives in some place we'd rather live because we can work from anywhere and in jammy bottoms. So why not move to wherever or quit my job and take this opportunity to, to go back to school and discover what I'm really made for? All that's fine and wonderful. Or you know what? Uh, easy to get mad at your church, right? They didn't say this about this or they did say that or they said too much about the other. And so we leave and go find another church and that's okay. I mean, some of you are here because you left another church. I mean, I'm glad you didn't leave church. So I've got no judgment for you. I mean, I didn't leave because I work here. Sort of tethered to my paycheck. But there was times I felt like it. And so here we find ourselves socially shuffling the deck. 
in so many ways, starting anew, in new communities, in new jobs, in a new economic reality, and thinking, where do I begin? And it's easier just to keep going like it was how we hated it during the lockdown when we were alone and binge watching Netflix than to foray out. It's like, I don't have the heart to, to do it again. But I think that's what Jesus people do. So what we're gonna talk about this morning is what it means to be us. We say that church is a family. Well, we've got some family values, if you will. You know, the things that inform the culture. And I just wanna share with you what I hope you've picked up, what many of you already know, and some of you old timers helped forge. And that is kind of what is our family culture? What are our family values? Our purpose is the same as it has always been, uniting across the spectrum to follow Jesus relentlessly and build his kingdom in Denver. That has been our purpose from the time that we were gathering in, in our basement and it will remain coming together from all walks of life, backgrounds, experiences and ambitions and aspirations around Jesus, right? Young and old, rich and poor, brown, black, white, urban, suburban, married, single, Democrat, Republican, cool, uncool, all sort of recognizing and submitting to the fact that we need one another to thrive in Christ, following him with all of our hearts and then flowing out of that to build his kingdom in Denver. You hear us talk about our way of life, our way of life that's predicated on that purpose. We talk about it every week, live with Jesus, live in family and live on mission. That's the way that it plays out in practical terms. Now our values codify what that feels like. What is that going to mean in terms of daily life in this family? It's kind of our organizational culture. And Mari and I, along with many of you, spent January praying and fasting and consecrating ourselves. And some of that time we spent talking about what it means to be us. Many of these are values that we've had from old and we've, we're refreshing them and re-upping on them. Some of them are values that have grown up among us and we just hadn't codified. And so now we're taking the opportunity to do that. But we're going to talk through those this morning and um, think about what it means to be us and where we're going together, if you're willing. Because look, I want the same thing you want. I want to go where everybody knows my name and they're always glad I came, right? I mean, the, it, it was the anthem of a generation, a generation that was moving fast and faster in a, an economy that was being accelerated by economic growth and technology and the American dream that gives us what we hope for, which is that we'll live better than our parents. But with that comes the Faustian bargain of so much more being asked of us that every crevice of time and thought bandwidth is jammed full of something to do. I want a place to be where I don't have to work where I'm with people that refresh me and build me up and remind me of who I am. And that takes being with people who know me and I know them. And this is what I believe Jesus is calling us to reestablish. Okay, Matthew 13 is where we're gonna look in the scriptures. We were praying and fasting and the Lord put this passage on Mari's heart and we were praying it for our church. And I think it describes the most fundamental of our family values. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said in his string of kingdom parables, God's way of life, God's order of existence coming to earth, it's like treasure hidden in a field. Now, Jesus had told them, here's the gospel. Here's the good news. The kingdom of heaven is near. It's coming. And so then they're obviously asking, what is this kingdom of heaven, right? So he's telling them, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. A man found it and then he hid it again. And then he went, went in his joy, sold all he had and bought that field. So imagine like he's walking around, maybe he's walking through a park or through his neighbor's yard, kind of taking the shortcut out of the cul-de-sac and he stumbles on something. It's like a little bit of gold sticking out like a, a disc and he kicks it and he digs around it out of curiosity. He's like, dang, this is like a gold chalice in my neighbor's lawn. And then he digs it up and he digs a little more and hey, there's like a, a diamond ring. There's a chest, oh my gosh. And so if you find a chalice on your neighbor's lawn, you might take it thinking, ah, someone probably dropped it. Maybe you, you bring it to the lost and found you're a good Samaritan, whatever. If you find a whole tr buried treasure, then you're like, all right, this isn't his property. I don't own the property, but you know what? I want to. And so what do you do? Jesus said, you go and sell everything 
and buy that field and dig that treasure out and it changes your life. It's the thing that transcends everything else that's worth going all in for. And he said that the kingdom of heaven is also like a merchant looking for fine pearls. He found one of great value and went away and sold everything he had and bought it. He's on the search for something of surpassing worth. And when he finds it, he goes all in. He loses his life, if you will, in order to find it more full, more abundant, and more completely realized. Jesus said this kingdom that's coming to earth, that's coming near, that is God's work in our age, this is what it's like. And with a world that offers us, 21st century Westerners, so much opportunity, so many things to invest our time in that beckons us to get yet more efficient at multitasking and managing it all, the kingdom invitation is singularity. Jesus' proposition in the age of multitasking is to single task, to go all in and then find your life resourced, equipped, energized in living color to lose it in order to find it. We talk about living with Jesus as the way we approach life. That plays out in a value that we've termed this way. We at Denver United, we orient our lives around God. We orient our lives around God. And that's easy enough to say and sounds like, well, duh. Obviously, were it not for the unspoken reality that there are many, and I say this with no judgment for any church out there, any believer or church that's for Jesus, we're for them. Yet for this house, we establish what it means to be us. And here's what I know and I suspect you know. There is no shortage of opportunities, invitations to a version of the Christian way, a wide easy to travel path that doesn't ask you to sell everything and buy the field. Kind of asks you to add Jesus as one more thing to multitask, one more task on the array, right? Just stick a Jesus sticker on it. Be a little bit more good in your daily interactions. Go to church when you can or when you feel like, and, and, and we're not going to ask more of you. And we're going to misrepresent Jesus as not asking more of you. I just don't think Jesus left us that option. So here at Denver United, we orient our lives around God. We believe there is a single defining reality, a treasure of surpassing worth buried in a field that beckons us to sell everything and single task and buy that field and then find our lives as Jesus resources and reinforms them. It's not burying our head in the sand, going all religious, or cloistering ourselves in a monastery on top of some mountain. It's re-engaging life with Jesus as our orientation, knowing God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in friendship and in fearful reverence orienting our lives around God. And so some of you are like, oh, I don't know, that's a, that's a bit much on the, on the Jesus thing. I don't know if I was in for all that. That's okay. I'm not telling you you need to go. You're welcome to be here. What I'm telling you is we're probably not coming down to that level, but we'd like to invite you to come up. Taste and see, the word of God says, that the Lord is good. Put him at the center and see how he changes your life. We orient our lives around God and then... As an anchor and a foundation for that, we embrace the centrality of Scripture. When you orient, that requires there to be something focusing your orientation, right? And in a post-truth, post-modern, kind of post-everything age, post-modern was so like 97, we're now post-truth. Even that which was undeniably true is subject to question and sort of becoming our responsible mandate to deconstruct. In a post-truth age, I believe, and we here at Denver United embrace the fact that the truth is no less true. And it's all the more 
imperative that we build our lives around Jesus on that truth. Jesus said, you search the scriptures thinking they'll give you life. They point to me exactly. We aren't Bibleists. We're Jesusists. And the word of God we recognize to be authoritative and powerful and relevant to every area of living. And so we're a church that anchors on the truth of the word of God, knowing full well, friends, that we are in the minority in doing so. Apart from calling on the name of Jesus, believing in the Holy Spirit or otherwise, we're walking into a culture headwind that we got to lean forward not to get blown over by, just anchoring ourselves on an unchanging truth. But the truth simply is. It doesn't care whether we individually or societally regard it. And so we embrace the centrality of Scripture. And from that God orientation flows the engagement. We engage in whole life transformation. This you could call discipleship. But too long have we as Jesus' church opted for single-channel discipleship in quotes that looks like taking classes, learning things, and applying ourselves to experiences that collectively approximate spiritual maturity while leaving ourselves emotionally, relationally, intellectually, even physically immature. We recognize that Jesus said, I'm making all things new. I'm not making your spirits new and leaving you to be emotional infants. He said, we want to grow up in every way into Christ. And so it's our aim to recognize that emotional health and spiritual maturity, they're interdependent. There is no way to separate those. And so whole life transformation is Jesus' work. Ephesians 3 bears this out. Paul writes, I pray from his glorious unlimited resources, God will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Listen, your roots, your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide and long, how high and deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. And then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Two weeks ago, we had a really windy day. Remember, it was like 60 miles an hour, and I was walking our dog in Washington Park, having to lean forward into the wind like that, just amazed, looking around at these 75-year-old trees that are not aerodynamic in the least. They're giant wind sails, right? They're top-heavy. All the branches and limbs are up here, and yet they stay put in that kind of wind. And I got to thinking, how is it that they don't just blow over? It's because, of course, their roots are 75 years deep into the soil. How do they thrive in a semi-arid climate like ours where all the moisture is sucked out of your, your skin and your lips? Because their roots go down deep and find water and nourishment. And so when the wind blows, they stay upright. Jesus described this in his parable of the soils. Remember when he said one of those plants, it actually grew up and even started to produce fruit perhaps. But then the, the weather changed. The sun came out and scorched it and the plant withered. Why? Because it had no root. And I've recognized this as a gentle censure from my Lord, the head of this church, that it's been too easy to go along presuming that one another is growing spiritually mature, to see one another professionally successful or socially um, sophisticated and make that tantamount to spiritual maturity. And I think what happened for many of us in the church, in our country, is that the shaking of the last two years, which, listen, was hard, not trying to discount it, very hard for some if we lost loved ones, if you lost your job, if you lost your portfolio, what your community or whatever, significantly hard, but not nearly on the scale of the suffering which the body of Christ has endured for the last 2,000 years and grown through. And yet many of us have come unglued. We've toppled because our roots weren't deep. And I think what Jesus has shown us, Mari and I were talking and praying about that, talking with our lead team, and we recognized that discipleship is not a euphemism for just feeling good. I want it to feel good. Don't get me wrong. I want the loving feeling back as much as you do and more. But discipleship is a lifelong 
apprenticeship, a surrender to Jesus' whole life transformation. And so over the next six months, the way we focused in the last half of 21 on rebuilding, we're going to focus on rooting down, rooting down deep. Not that we won't engage that beyond, but prioritizing the deep ongoing journey of discipleship, rooting down in order to experience God's fullness and his power. The passage in Ephesians describes rooting down deep in God's love. We can only grow mature in our faith and strong in our roots to the extent that what we're rooting in is soil that grows the things of God in our lives. God's love is meaningless when we're alone in our living room. How do you love by yourself? Love is only meaningful in the context of relationships with others. And so to live with Jesus is to live in family, and that begets three values. The first is we pursue authentic relationships. We pursue authentic relationships. Sounds kitschy and and cliched, but how easy and common is it to pursue relationships to a certain depth, to a certain place of comfort and convenience, relationships that don't ask me to be vulnerable, that don't ask me to examine myself and change. It's easy to have a form of relationship that costs me little or nothing and then just wash my hands of it when it invariably distances or dissolves and move on to the next disposable relationship. I would suggest those aren't relationships at all. They're codependence. They're using people for some momentary need of mine or gratification. Authentic relationships last. Here's a truth that's deep and profound. It takes five years to have a five-year friendship. There is no shortcut. There is no technology. There is no supplement you can add to your diet that will fast forward that. It's like making chili. You can put all the ingredients in the pot, heat it up in 25 minutes, but it doesn't taste good, right? It's got to coalesce. The flavors have to meld. It's got to stew. Relationships are like that. A relationship isn't meaningful till you've navigated hardship or conflict or distance or misunderstood one another or walked alongside one another through peril. It takes 10 years to have a 10-year relationship. So when we're making them disposable, our country is doing this at our great future peril. The loss of wealth that many experienced over the last two years is insignificant compared to the loss of social relational capital, the net love quotient that has dissipated and evaporated like worth, theoretical worth in the market during a crash is troubling beyond what I think we recognize. We as the church are leaders in love. And so pursuing authentic relationships is how we root down in love. And that means relationships that are healthy, relationships that are sacrificial, in which we make ourselves vulnerable one more time. Relationships that reach beyond us to the need of the other person, to understand someone whose journey has been different from our own and that persevere together. Flowing out of those individual relationships is the life of a community. We pursue diverse community here at Denver United. I know that for some of us, that word triggers involuntary eye rolls because we've been subjected to diversity trainings at work or it's become a a political buzzword. This has nothing to do with politics. This has to do with Jesus. Long before they were bickering about it on CNN or Fox News, or you had a consultant brought in and you were forced to sit through a day of diversity training at work, Jesus said, God's going to call people. He's going to bring them in from the north and the south and the east and the west to the banqueting table at the feast in the kingdom of heaven to take their places. He's going to bring them, they're going to come, and they're going to take their places at the table. First, I think it's awesome that over and over again in his stories, Jesus likens this coming kingdom, this order of God that's superimposing and ultimately subsuming the order of this world. He likens it to a party, a banquet, a feast, not the religious doldrums that so many of us have associated with faith and church. 
And he says that party is going to be filled with people who come from all directions, all walks of life, and they're going to take their places. And listen, as a, an American white male, I think I have come to presume, without ever exactly being told this, the culture has led me along to an understanding that, you know what, when we, when we embrace diversity, it's, hey, hey, dude, scooch over, man. Make a hole. Make some room. Okay, hey, you who are an outsider or different from me, come have one of our seats. Sounds good, right? Jesus said they're going to come and take their seats. Right. You're not giving them one of yours. And so we pursue diverse community because heaven is diverse community. The kingdom of heaven on earth is Jesus' gospel. What else are we doing? And so to gather with one another is to embrace the challenge, the scariness, the discomfort, the awkward and clunky conversations that come along with being with people whose experience, socioeconomic reality, ethnic heritage, stage in life, age or otherwise is different from our own. So we embrace diverse community. Listen, nothing's easier than homogenous community. Again, no judgment for them. You can go along the 470 and exit at any stop along the way and find a really large, awesome church that's singing to Jesus and reading the Bible. And it's going to be comparatively more homogenous just because of where it is. And it's going to look like it's community. And that's fine and good. Don't hate on the suburbs. The suburbs need Jesus too. Maybe they're getting him in disproportionate supply. That's another discussion. But the fact is, it takes work to pursue and submit to diverse community. It's easy to be in community that looks like me, that looks like the community I live in. And that's why our, the next value is so imperative. We cherish this gathering of believers. And I, ha I wanna address those of you who are worshiping with us from home. There's no judgment here. There's no ranking or condescending. If you're worshiping God, I am so glad. And if you're joining us wherever you find yourself, man, I'd rather you be worshiping with us than doing anything else. At the same time, the gathering of believers only happens when we are in each other's company. I've heard a lot of churches giving seminars on how to cultivate and reach out to your online congregation. That makes no sense to me. It's intellectually dishonest. It's like jumbo shrimp. It's an oxymoron, right? Online means sitting in my car, listening while I walk around the park. Maybe I'm having community with my dog, I mean, maybe your family and your neighbors are getting together and watch church, but let's be honest. At this point, we're probably not doing that very much. It's more me like I was last week while you guys were here in my mom's living room with her. And my mom has loved Jesus for like 60 years plus. And still, we were like finding ourselves off in conversation while you all were singing. There's something about gathering the singularity, the surrender to one another of being with God's people, that's essential for experiencing the fullness of life of God. And so the second of our two focuses within all these values for the next while is gonna be along with rooting down to experience God's fullness and power, coming together, coming together in order to solidify our devotion to Jesus. I understand now what I didn't understand so clearly two years before when scripture says, don't neglect meeting together as has become the habit of some. I think a habit of omission is, is a little bit unintuitive for me. It became a habit not to. When I think of habits, I think of like nervous twitches or, you know, saying um or whatever. But it's a habit all the same, simply not to do something that got really easy not to do to fill that time with other things. And I want to challenge us as a church to come together, to experience the commitment of one another. Not for my sake. Well, I mean, yes, for my sake in the sense that Mari and I enjoy raising our kids and being a part of this church family, but for one another. Come together and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I know that there are some of you that are thinking, and as would I if I were sitting there listening to me, um, you're kind of preaching to the choir, dude. We're here right now. And I'm saying, let's prioritize being here with each other next week and the week after. And then maybe the week after that, you get sick or have an unavoidable business trip. It's cool. 
We're not looking to judge you or run your schedule, but prioritizing the gathering with believers for the reasons that we prioritize Jesus in the first place. In Acts chapter 2, the brand new church, Jesus had just ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit fell. Uh, the world's getting turned upside down. All the believers were devoting themselves. They were all in awakening, right? What we just finished. They were going deep, prayer, fasting, consecration, miracles, the apostles' teaching, the Lord's prayer, fellowship. They're having meals together. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. Like, wow, this is real. You know the goosebump moments when you first were, were believers and you'd meet like in dorm rooms late at night praying or whatever it is that you did? They were having those goosebump moments. And listen, Though they were meeting in houses individually, needfully, they didn't have a church building, they had a temple, but the people running the temple were trying to kill them like they just killed Jesus. And then outside that, they had the Roman Empire that was starting to try and kill them too. So they were like wanted men and women twice over. And so, yeah, they met in homes and it was good and important, but they also, listen, prioritized all the believers meeting together in one place they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Am I asking you to embrace communism? No, the world tried that. Fortunately, the 20th century, it didn't work out well. It's not the economic principle. It's the spiritual principle. They lived generously. Do you see it? They lived sacrificially. They might have said, hey, I want to go skiing this weekend. I want to go skiing more than all of you. I have a job that makes me work on the weekends and an epic pass that goes underutilized tragically every year. I've skied since I was six. I don't remember what it feels like not to. And yet, and yes, I work here. But gathering is even more important. It is so valuable for our lives and who God is making us that this is our focus in the coming year, simply getting back in the rhythm of coming together. How else are we going to become old friends than by being new friends first? Like I look around the room and I see so many of you that I met over the course of the last two years, like the Maddoxes, and we didn't know each other existed, and somehow we ended up here together and then became friends. And, you know, th this journey for so many of us has been isolating, has been full of not not only a lack of community, but a losing, a straining, or a breaking of relationships so painfully that the impulse is, you know what? I tried that. It didn't work. I'm good. I'm not going to go back there again. But that's exactly where Jesus wants us to go. And then lastly, we live on mission. We're just going to name this one because over the next six weeks, we're going to turn our focused attention and our study to our mission in our community and around the world. I told you we're going to hear from and pray for a number of our local and global partners. We're going to talk about the practical ways that we can roll up our sleeves and represent Jesus, be his hands and feet in our community. The values that flow from that, we cultivate kingdom influence. That means your work matters. Your relationships in your neighborhood matter. The suburb or the part of the city that you live in matters. This isn't the main event. This is the gathering. This is the encouragement, the celebration, the refueling. And church happens as we live our lives and Jesus multiplies our influence and we do the stuff of the world better than the world's doing it and represent Christ and invite people to know him. And then we care for the poor and marginalized. We always have, and as long as this church exists, we always will. And then lastly, we answer Christ's global mandate. We're a missions church. You heard us talk about it and pray for it earlier. Going and making disciples of all nations is part of what it means to build his kingdom here in Denver. Mar, you want to come up here and join, with, join me for a moment as we prepare to close? Just want to talk for two or three more minutes. What does this mean for us going forward? What's this going to look like? Thank you, Neil. Um, this morning we were out in our uh, pre-service prayer with our teens, and um, God just gave me this picture of this beautiful aspen grove. And of course, we're Coloradans, so we get the privilege of being able to actually see those in our state. Um, and you know, you do a little research on it, they're so fascinating to go read about, because of course it's the world's, the, the earth's largest organism is an aspen grove because of its root system and how it spreads and germinates underground. 
And so I just had this picture as we are praying about coming together and rooting down that, those phrases together. I just instantly saw this grove. And I'm like, man, what would it be like if our churches actually like lived that? You know, and I, I think we all feel the fragmentation of being separated, being in our homes and all that that has brought. But even beyond that, like it's, it's risky business to come together in a family and get to know each other for real, to take the risk to be known and to know someone else. We, we have to face the fact that we may meet the funky, crazy uncle that that you don't want to, you just don't want to talk to. Or maybe you're the uncle, you know? It's like, and as we were praying, I just was praying, God, give us courage. Like, we can't be this glorious, like, Aspen Grove that we all drive and go to high, I don't know about you, but I, I force us to go on these big trips every year for the weekend just to go see these and tell, we've been all over, Telluride and Crested Butte and all the places because they just are so glorious. But I'm like, we can't really be if we're supposed if if we're called to come together and to root down. We can't really be that glorious beauty if we don't take the risk. It takes courage, and um, it reminded me of First um, Kings nine three. After the temple had been built, that that God calls His house. Um, he, there's a, a prophetic statement that, that this gorgeous prayer that is prayed over it from God himself that says, I have consecrated this house that bears my name. My eyes and my heart will be on it for all time. And it just like gives me chills and like literally just tear, makes me tear up every time I read it. That like, and when you read through scripture with that lens, you begin to see like, the house of God matters. His people coming together, and they built these beautiful temples and all these things, but it was because of the people that would fill the inside of it. God really didn't. I mean, he was specific about its construction, but his heart was on the people as it is today. And so this vision that, that he's put on our hearts of, like, coming together and rooting down, like, I am excited to see what, what he's going to do. Um, but I do know that it's going to take courage. It's going to take a choice not to just put our toe in and try to test it out, but not really engage yourself, not really engage your life. Like, you, you need to be known. There are people and gifts in this house that need to be known, that need to be seen. And I think this is the year to to know one another and to, to go there. So, Man, I love yeah, that. You excited. need to be known. Wow. There's a number of ways, practically, we're just going to tease real quick, that um, we're going to uh, enact and you're going you're gonna to experience uh, these, these directions in the coming year. Um, an emphasis on intentional and, and whole person discipleship is going to mark really all of our ministries from how we do our groups and our student ministries. So excited for the changes that are coming in student ministry that Pastor Rice has shared with you about uh, to some new initiatives, one of which is, is this course that we're calling Grow. Want to just give a quick teaser on that? Yeah, it's... Um going to be just an opportunity to kind of recircle our faith um, from a holistic perspective, spirit, soul, mind, and body. And so we're going to engage um, the mind and the word of God. Um, for, for many of you, maybe like me, you grew up in the church most of your life, and I got to my college years and was like, I don't even know this Bible thing. Like, don't even understand, you know? And so we want to we want to understand, like, how to read the Bible together. What, is, what does it have to say? It's a pretty fascinating, incredible book that can change our lives. So, but we're, we'll, there'll be a class that'll be about six weeks um, that will circle on spirit, soul, mind, and body um, that we're really excited about to grow into this holistic living. And then um, do you want me to talk about spirit? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll tag it. Yeah. The, um, 
we've discovered some really wonderful material written by a pastor who leads and built a church in New York City that uh, expresses so many of the values we share, um, united across a, 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 an even broader spectrum there in that urban context. And um, out of his own journey of leadership and, and healing and growth, has written a, a curriculum called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And the premise essentially is that you can't be become spiritually mature and remain emotionally immature. It's an integrative approach to understanding how Jesus works in making all things new, not just the spiritual Sunday school things. And so we're going to be looking, I told you our next study series is gonna be focused on applying Jesus' great commission. We're gonna look at what it means um, to be Jesus to the least of these. And then after that, it'll be passion tide culminating in Easter. And then the study series will turn our attention to is going to center around emotionally healthy relationships, how to engage one another according to God's design and, and Jesus's model, honestly, vulnerably, sacrificially, and deeply in relationships that are built to, to last. So that's coming. Um, Alpha, again, will be a highlight and really will take um, a, a, a major priority in the life of our congregation. You'll hear about that in the coming couple weeks. If you don't know what it is, for the sake of time, let me just say stay tuned, but it integrates our value for community and relationships from all walks of life with living missionally and inviting others in. Jesus didn't separate the fellowship department and the evangelism department. Out of authentic Christian community flows the most authentic and effective outreach. Alpha is all about that. We'll tell you more. And invite you to be a part in inviting your friends. And then I love the idea, Mari, that you had um, that we're going we're gonna to do a lot of in the coming year for family dinners. Yeah. So we're just going to um, worship together and, and eat a meal together here at church and going to kind of integrate that into our rhythms, be able to sit around the table with each other. For a lot of us, many of us are new or many of us have been around before, but have like, you know, we've been looking at each other half with half faces and forget what each other even looks like. So we just want to create space um, to actually get to know each other again, um, understand, engage each other's stories while eating some good food. So we're going to do like taco nights and different themes um, while we worship together. And so we really encourage you to be a part of those. Those will be on Sunday evenings, probably like once a month. I yeah, think, and there'll be some surprises mixed in there yeah. um, that maybe yeah. won't be dinner, but... Um, It'll be fun. There's something about, there's something powerful about um, connecting over food, right? That's just kind of how we grow as, as friends and how, what family does. And uh, super excited about that. And it'll be a great time to invite friends to um, your neighborhoods, coworkers, where it's non-threatening environment to just come and enjoy some good food with some good people. We were joking, yeah. and it kind of turned into not a joke in the late fall as we were planning for this year. You know, we were a small church in our basement, and then we grew to be a bigger church, and then you had to do stuff that bigger churches do, and now we're like a smaller church again. So rather than crying over spilled milk, what we're experiencing is common to people the world over. Let's be where we are and rock small. So we're like learning from how small churches thrive. And one of the things they do almost invariably is they eat together. And it's just really hard logistically to do with thousands of people. But with a couple hundred of us, we can do that. And so we're going to, it's going to be amazing. Lots more to come, but just wanted to give you a glimpse into what the road ahead looks like, where we are, what it really means to be us, what you, if you're new here, what you're signing on to, if you're contemplating, um, jumping in and becoming members, what it is that you're exploring. Man, we so deeply appreciate your not giving up on Jesus, not giving up on his community. We believe that the church, the local church, is Jesus' plan A in every season, in every circumstance, and in every generation. And he is building his church, and he's going to bless it as we re-engage it together around him. How you can go forward, and then we'll close here, Mari, if you'll pray for us in just a moment. Uh, starting today, right now, if you're new to Denver United or new in the last few weeks or months, and hear me and say, you know what, I want to explore how to take the next step. I'd like to consider being a member. I'd like to know, kind of get under the hood, kick the tires, peek through the windows, and then uh, maybe jump in. That's what Next Steps is for. It's over lunch. It's right now, as soon as we say amen, through that door in the garage. You gotta eat lunch. We'd love for you to share that hour with us, hear from some of our team, get to know us, what we're about on a, on a ministry ground level uh, 
where we're going and how you can be a part. That's next steps. And that's the first step to membership here at Denver United. And then if you're already a member, you're already part of the family, but you're like, you know what? I've been like so many of us kind of sitting on the sidelines or waiting for the world to turn right side up again. Here we are formally turning it right side up. So you're like, hey, put me in coach. I don't know what I can do. I've got the time I've got. I've got a day job. I can't play the guitar or the keys like Ethan can. I can't sing like Susie, but I can do something. That's what the lead rally is for. Every one of us in Christ has a leadership destiny. Every one of us is called to follow Jesus in servant leadership. We'd like to share with you some of the ways that you can jump in and lead that work with your schedule and the realities and the limitations of your life and what you have in your hand. We need what God has put in you. And so that's the lead rally. It's this afternoon at four, right over here in the garage. We'll have refreshments and we would love to connect with you and help you hear Jesus and take the next step in expressing your calling of servant leadership in this cooperative that is our church family. Amen. Would you stand up with us? It's time for us to go. Mari, would you pray for us? And then we'll get out of here. Jesus, I just thank you for my friends that are here today. God, thank you for every person, Lord, that is a part of your church. God, we remember your scripture that calls, Lord, the body of Christ to be like a city on a hill. God, that shines in the midst of the darkness, Lord. And we know that this city is in desperate need of you. But God, we're, we're in desperate need of you too. And so God, we really want you to do something special in us this year. God, in 2022, we want to be the church, God, that bears your name, God, that is a lighthouse, that is a hospital, God, that is a safe place, that is a comfortable place, that is a, a family table where you can be yourself, where you can take off the airs and just come in your authentic, our, our authentic selves and to meet with one another, Lord, in their authentic place. And sometimes there's beauty in that, and sometimes there's deep brokenness, God. And it's our heart to live in that space, an authentic way with one another in you. So, God, would you do what you want to do this year? God, we look forward to all that you have in store for our church. And so, God, we just bless my friends, God, to bless their, their families, their work. God, would you go with them this week? God, do, Lord, uh, above and beyond what they could hope for or dream for or imagine, God. And we look to you for all things. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. We hope you've been encouraged and challenged this week by God's word. For more information about our church, events, or to simply submit a prayer request, visit us online at denverunited.com.